It's a good Welcome to We'll See You in Hell, folks. It's the old podcast you go to when you want to hear about the uh, horror movies and sci-fi movies and fantasy films and sometimes action and once in a while comedy, too. Uh, and if you don't like it, a uh, fuck you. Let's watch the language. It is Christmas. I believe this episode drops on Christmas Eve. And that's why, folks, today we're going to do a, a commentary eventually on uh, a Twilight Zone episode, season two, episode 12. Night of the Meek. Night of the Meek. I've actually not seen it. I've only seen the first season of Twilight Zone, which I know is embarrassing, but I'm working through it. This is my, hands down, probably least favorite episode ever oh. of the Twilight Zone. Okay. It's a touching sort of inspirational episode about a drunk turning his life around. It opens on a Santa Claus drunk in a bar. I've said many times in the past, I am convinced that this, this is what Bad Santa was based on. Yeah. And they said, well, what if he doesn't learn a lesson? He's, we just steer into him being a drunk and a right. creep. Um, but who knows? But, uh, but you know, my Twilight Zone faves are the ones that get a little odd, a little dark. This I was at a, the, a new bar over on Hillhurst here in Los Feliz called Atrium. A little fancy schmancy for my taste, but they had a great happy hour. I was meeting a friend, and I got there a half hour early. So I order a drink. I'm sitting at the bar, and I look up, and much like in a Twilight Zone episode, I see in the mirror, because one of the walls across from me was mirrored, and I watch an old man fully dressed as Santa with a giant, not just blood red, but damp <laughs> black eye. Sits down next nice. to me, and I see him in the mirror, and I swear to you, I thought that when I turned to my left to look at him, he would not be there, and I would only be seeing him in the mirror. <laughs> but there he was. He had a wet, damp black eye that was either from getting punched or from falling on something. And this bar, you know, it, as in typical Los Feliz fashion, you couldn't get a drink under six bucks, but he kept putting them back. We weren't under six minutes, mind you. Folks. Um, I do want to talk about something truly horrific, and I brought this up in the last podcast, but I wanted to make sure that Joe saw the video. We'll bump this up. This is the scary stuff for this This week. is the scariest of stuff, and sort of screaming in as well. Um, a very quick uh, recap of the story in case you don't know it, but there was a young woman, 17 years old, who accused girls and crashing rider Murray Miller of rape. Uh, she said she woke up and he was assaulting her. He's a much older gentleman. Um, Lena Dunham, because she was working with this guy, was like, no way, I know you. You couldn't have raped her. Lena Dunham, feminist extraordinaire, advocate for the downtrodden, takes to the internet and declares that this young girl, who was also, by the way, half black, Mm -hmm. complicating things even further mm -hmm. for Miss Woke Lena Dunham. She gets up and says, this woman is lying. I'm sorry. This just seems to be one of those cases, one of those 3% of cases 
where the rape claim is misreported because this can't be true. This guy is too good a guy. No way it happened. And in fact, I have proof that it didn't happen. I can't tell you what that proof is, but I do have it. Completely discredits this woman's story. Cut to months later, Lena Dunham writes the worst apology I've ever seen in my life. Of course, it was entirely about Lena Dunham and her own experience. And she discusses her own sexual assaults in the article, which made it very gross because this isn't about you, Lena Dunham. Not everything is about you. And well, she doesn't. She did, She's incapable of understanding that. Yes. <clears throat> then she admits in the apology as like an afterthought. Also, I had no proof that this guy didn't do it. That was a lie. I made that up to discredit a sexual assault victim. And everyone's reading this apology and like discuss it. You got to sit down and read this thing. I mean, if you thought that love actually piece got your dander up, you got to sit down and read this. But then came, and I've only been able to watch the one minute highlight clip. I can't watch the full five minute speech, but Lena Dunham brings up the mother of the 17 year old girl who was assaulted, who Lena Dunham publicly called a liar at the Hollywood reporter awards at a Hollywood reporter event. Brings her up on stage. She has, She's Mike. She has a microphone, but Lena Dunham does not allow her to speak. As Lena Dunham goes through a speech saying, me, 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 I learned, I learned, I've changed. I'm sorry. I want to say publicly. My favorite line My favorite line is when she says, I allowed the patriarchy to pollute my thinking. No, Lena, you just did what you did. Your Stop thinking is polluted. Yes. Your, but, your entire brain is polluted by being a rich, spoiled bitch. Now, let's let's complicate it even more. Yes. Deadline reports. Los Angeles DA declines charges against girls writer uh, and EP Murray Miller. Case has been dismissed. Uh, so here's the thing. I don't know Murray. I don't know this woman. Don't know I have man. no doubt to doubt. I have no reason to doubt either of them. I have. I was not there. I do not know what happened. Um but I will say this, what really pisses me off about this whole Lena Dunham thing is now you see this, let's let's just say for argument's sake, what if the guy is innocent, okay? Let's just say for argument's sake, what if he's guilty? What if he's guilty, she goes out publicly, throws the girl under the bus. Then when that's, because that's what works for her at the time. Yeah. Then when that doesn't work for her anymore, she goes out and throws the guy under the bus. Correct. Uh, and in either of those cases, if he's not in the position that she's claiming he's in, as far as innocent or guilt is concerned, what it all boils back down to is Lena Dunham does for Lena Dunham. She brought this woman on stage to make herself look good and get right. her fucking round of applause. She said the at- first time, I know he's, I know that he's innocent. And then later, exactly as you're saying, now I know he's guilty. What are you talking about? Well, which is You're, it, Lena? Talk about playing with people's lives. Yeah. Lena, have, here's, here's my problem with the whole thing. As I said, I have no reason to doubt his accuser, and I also have no reason to cast aspersions against this man when I don't know uh, anything about the situation other than the information I've read publicly. But my point is this. I have a tendency to believe victims, as most of us do. That's a good thing, I think, that we all do that. But Lena Dunham has, she is removed from that argument or debate or whatever you want to call it or stance or perspective. She has 
zero integrity. She doesn't give a if if she figured out that the best thing for her to do was go on stage and bring Donald Trump up there next to her yeah. and talk about how she was wrong about him, you can bet your fucking ass she would do it. Right. You can bet your fucking ass she would do it. Lena Dun this is not a me too discussion. This is a Lena Dunham discussion. She has no integrity. She sucks. Her work sucks. She's annoying. She's not funny. She's a spoiled brat. She was fucking escorted into this business by people that were able to bless her with exorbitant amounts of money so she could fund her projects. Uh, she's got she, rich parents as well. She's got very rich. That's what I mean. I'm talking yeah. about her parents. She's got extremely rich parents. She's She had very connections in very high places. She grew up next to Meryl Streep or something like that. Yeah. Where their very their their vacation homes were close together. Right. This I mean, is someone who has, who does not understand a non privileged experience, but pretends that she can write to it. And I really liked the first and second season of Girls. The first season in particular, I was like, "This is something new." I like what yeah, I'm I like the first season too. And then little by little, you're like, "Oh wait, this isn't a satire of terrible people. This is just terrible people." telling their truth yeah i always thought she was like look smarter than the characters no absolutely not no she thinks that's how like real people should act yes like they should be like you know worrying about nothing but partying in brownstones in new york and complaining about how their parents won't fund their ride anymore or right whatever. like it's not like you know wit stillman or somebody like that like you know taking shots at these people through their work or noah bombach or something or brett easton ellis i would also yes say. absolutely um, the my for me the cringiest part of this video was, and I watched this in a in my uh, my writer's room, and people screamed from start to finish. Oh, like oh no! And the biggest screams this thing got were when Lena turns to the mother of this victim, who Lena Dunham has publicly called a liar, and she turns around and she goes, "I learned through this process that it's time." to cut the shit and put on my big girl pants and also to cut the shit so she's gonna say shit like i'm still edgy even at a hollywood reporter event i'm gonna say shit and put on your big girl you're 32 i also big too, girl pants also too i'm sorry i'm sorry and this might come as out of line to certain people you know who does this daughter a disservice the mother the mother. You love your daughter. You stand by your daughter. You say, fuck off, Lena Dunham. Yeah. I'm not going up there with you. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't want to pile on this woman. I mean, but, but, yeah, but, but still, but, yes. but yeah. But yeah, but it's like, you know, somebody went after your kid and you and then you go up there and, and champion her. Yeah, I, f I find that like, gross, too. you. But if I got to pick between the grosser of these people. Well, of course. Yeah, I'm going Lena's the Lena's the grosser. You know, it was her idea calling up. Hey, you know, it would be great. There's a Hollywood Reporter event coming up. And like, here's what you should do, Lena Dunham. Call her up and apologize and let that be that. That we live in this society where apologies don't count unless they're public for an audience of people applauding you for making the apology. Where I would say that completely invalidates your apology. An apology uh, should be, do you one-on-one -on -one forgive me for what I've done? And then people will actually watch this thing and go, Look how sincere she was. Oh, look how sincere the actor was? Yeah. 
I, I, Some the, of the best acting I've seen it's, from Lena Dunham. And then she's sitting there going, we've laughed together. We, yeah. We're friends. You're not friends. No. She's a lady you met in a time of crisis because you fucked up, and now you got to come around and fix it. And you're going to do it on a big stage so everybody can see and pat you on the back, and you can continue to have a career. You're manipulative. You suck. Beat it. And she won't. She'll continue to be she famous. Won't. and get. She's writing it. a movie for J.J. Abrams and Steven Spielberg. Lena Dunham. Why? And it's about like a historical event. So that it's not even like something remotely in her wheelhouse. Ugh. I hate this fucking business. I swear to God. I swear to God. Go, go read that article. Watch the watch at least the minute version of the Hollywood Reporter thing. This article, it starts and it's like, we, we all knew about Harvey Weinstein. We discussed it over past appetizers. That's how this thing starts. And she's writing about like we we had to tear down the crinoline walls of oppression and stuff stop trying to get raves for your writing when you're talking about rape right you know right you've already got a pretty checkered history dealing with this issue drop the fucking i'm i'm trying to win a creative writing class award and if you want any respect from anyone go away for a while or if you need to write about it Stop acting like you're auditioning. It's like what's, there's a line from uh, I'll Do Anything, which is a great underrated James L. Brooks movie. And uh, Nick Nolte says to this woman, he's like, quit posing for this picture of you that nobody is taking. Wow. That's how I feel about Lena Dunham. Nobody cares, but you just keep shoehorning your way in. The vast majority of people who hate Lena Dunham have never seen any of her work. They're just like, ah, you know, she's this, well, she's that. Lena, stick to what you're good at. Go and go to go to a college and complain that the cafeteria's version of sushi is somehow an appropriational offense against the culture. Go complain that the fucking Jason Bourne posters on the subway had guns in them. S- stick to what you're good at. While having a show set in New York in in 2011 that didn't have a black person for an entire season. Oh, I lo- yeah, I love this fucking shit. I love this shit. These people that bitch about, you know, she's she's a champion uh, uh, against white privilege. I've never seen somebody more white and privileged in my entire fucking life. All white cast. There there weren't black extras. No, no. And by the way, that's an Apatow issue as well, who, uh, you know, is is complicit in in that show. But uh, yeah, just just a a world of New York, no different than Friends in, in 1996. I'm just so sick of this shit. I'm just so sick of it. Stop using people's pain to make yourself look better in either direction. It's fucked up. It's weird. And in my opinion, it is as low as Trump separating kids from their families. It's fucking gross. It's exploitative. It's selfish. It's manipulative. And it's fucking psychotic. Lena, you're a sociopath. Shut up. Go away. All right. Agreed. Jesus Christ. Wow, we came in real hot. <laughs> Christmas Day, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. It's it's not for us, but uh, we are about Let's to kind of head out on our breaks. <laughs> we, need, we need these breaks. We're hanging on by a very thin thread, and we're about to sit back with an old classic. I guess we should do our movie corner first. It's only a 25-minute episode. And this is what's cool is I believe next Monday, <clears throat> yeah. and I could I could clarify this by looking at a calendar on the phone in my pocket, but I won't do it. Yeah. I'm just going to speculate. Next Monday, I believe, is New Year's Eve. 
That's true. And January 5th, my birthday. So next Monday, we we, we will we should give you some kind of New Year's Evil. Oh. I'm not, I didn't make that up. Somebody made that up. There was a movie, New Year's Evil. We could also do, you know, do our top films of the year. You know, I, I'd have to really yeah. scrape hard to get ten, but I haven't watched all my screeners. Yet. I like when you scrape hard to get ten. Just period scrape. I'm a, I'm a scraper. I'm a scraper. Um. I'd like to start with, you know, you want to talk about political correctness. Um, something that gleefully goes in the face of political correctness. And it was a three-part comedy special on Netflix called Bumping Mics. I still got to watch it, man. I still got to watch this thing. David Tell and Jeff Ross. Uh, there, some, Jeff Ross, there's just something about the guy. I've watched, you know, his his roast. And then when he went down to Guantanamo Bay and all the stuff he's doing, he really is sort of, he's doing much more to unite people yes. than Alina Dunham. Yes. By saying horrific things, you know, yeah. like things that would get you thrown out of a lot of places in Los Angeles. I agree. And it's more inclusive and there's a there's more warmth to it than anything Lena Dunham's ever put on screen. And Attell, you know, one of my all time true favorite comedians, he can still land a punchline like nobody's business. He seems a little exhausted in this one. He's always sitting down. But just to watch these two masters go at it, riff on each other, riff on the audience, and the audience, no matter how bad the thing is that's being said, just laughs and laughs and laughs and has fun, and it's an equal opportunity offender. And I had so much fun watching this thing. They do tiny little bits in New York, like they all go get a sandwich with Gilbert Gottfried. There's a little bit of that Comedians in Cars bit, but it's only a minute at a time. It's mostly just stand-up. They got great guests. They have Michael Che, the most likable I've seen him since he's, you know, SNL is not a good showcase for that man. Uh, I love Che. Che's got a sweet spirit. Yeah, he yeah. was great. Paul Rudd comes up on stage for 10 minutes. He's delightful and hilarious. Nice. I think my uh, friend Rachel Feinstein is in there. Feinstein, somewhere. Schumer, and uh, <laughs> Nikki Glaser all take the stage together. They got, it, it's just, there's a, such a fun, positive vibe from it. Uh, I recommend it a lot. I laughed really hard for all, you know, however long it is. Put put end to end, it's probably 90 minutes of your time. But, boy, there's some really funny stuff on there. Great jokes. Oh, uh, that's awesome. I saw, uh, I've, I ran into a tell a couple times last week. We did a, or not last, a couple weeks ago. We did a benefit show together for the great Preston and Steve radio show in Philadelphia. It was Rich, Rich Voss, Attell. Uh, and myself and uh, and some other comics too, um, um, but we uh, I saw him there and he was hilarious as always. And yeah. then um, I saw him at the comedy store, uh, and he was hilarious. So I'm happy that that's happening. I just I see Jeff all the time too. I'm happy for those guys. They're good dudes. Um, the uh, all right. I saw. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. First, I'll start with a rewatch. Uh, Paul Schrader's Dominion. Never seen it. A prequel to The Exorcist. Own it. Never seen it. I own it. Uh, I've seen it. It's one of these things. I go back. I try to give it another chance. 
This thing is such a piece of fucking shit. I mean, it is so fucking boring. The yeah. CGI in it is so bad and unnecessary. It, it just sucks. It just sucks. The Exorcist and The Exorcist 3 are the only Exorcist movies. I mean, it's just... Yeah. They have tried to revisit this. The TV show's first season got us back in the saddle, and then they ruined it by going out of the Reagan McNeil story in the second season, and then it was just about exorcists. And you're like, well, who cares? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I like this because it was connected to the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, God damn. And it's got Stellan Skarsgård, who I love... And you've watched both versions of it? Oh, yeah. Well, I can't figure out which is worse than the other. Yeah. They both suck. Jesus I, I root Christ. for Schrader. He's either on or he's way off. But, you know, obviously, Taxi Driver, uh, Raging Bull, some of the great screenplays of our time. But then Affliction, which he directed as one of my favorite movies. The first Reformed with uh, Ethan Hawke. I'm seeing get a lot of awards buzz, which I'm very surprised by. I thought it was too weird for that. But it's a really great movie that came out this year, First Reformed, and it's hitting uh, DVD as we speak. I mean, look, one of my all-time favorites ever is Autofocus. Love Autofocus. Just one of the creepiest uh, movies ever. I, I love yeah. Autofocus. Greg Kinnear, like you've never seen him before. That's true. Uh, Defoe, you've seen him before. You've seen this version <laughs> before. Yeah, I never saw Dominion. I will check it out. I would like to discuss at some point. Um, God bless. I saw a rewatch re myself. On the last episode, we talked about Can You Ever Forgive Me, feeling like early Woody Allen. And, uh, you know, I said, I think that's just the, the autumn in New York vibe they have, people in sweater vests and stuff. And I watched one of the ultimate uh, Woody Allen sweater vest autumn in New York movies, Manhattan Murder Mystery. One of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I saw it. I remember... I, I would rent anything that wasn't rated R. Uh, I used to rent six movies at a clip. And my dad did not want me to watch Manhattan Murder Mystery. And I was like, it's PG. Back on, And this was right. right when Woody Allen stuff was really coming out. And he's like, he's a molester. I don't <laughs> want you getting this stuff in your head. Right. I'm like, Dad, I think it's a fun romp. <laughs> not uh, molesting the movie. <laughs> so we watched it together. And uh, I think he enjoyed it as well by the end. It's one of his most kind of light, fluffy, delightful type movies. It really is entertaining. Fun movie trivia on that film and why it works so well. Number one, it's the first thing he did with Diane Keaton in 20 years or something like that. Number two, the uh, great Zach Braff plays their son. Zach Braff does play the son. Uh, number three, that whole movie was a B story for Annie Hall that, yes. that had to be cut for time. So it's almost like you're getting a weird Annie Hall sequel. Or yeah. something. Because it does get into, like, the strain. There is a strain on their relationship as they both sort of take different approaches to, is our neighbor a murderer or not? Right. Uh, and then you got Alan Alda coming in, which is in what I assume would have, would have been the Tony, um, what's Roberts? Uh, I'll take Alda over Roberts any day of the week. I love Roberts. I wish I, I like that. He's one of those guys. I'm like, why doesn't he just pop up in, like, Woody Allen movies or any movies? It's fucking Tony. Did he retire? Like, who isn't going? They probably, you know, got got on lewds at some party in the 70s and killed a woman together. We don't know. 
This was a different time in Hollywood. My point is, is like, you know, you're making a movie in New York. You go, hey, I got this like two, two, two page scene. Tony Roberts, you want to come do this? Like, sure. I don't, I never get why. Does he even act anymore? That's my question is, did he just walk away Maybe and go, I'm die. just done. Him up. I love Alan Alda in this movie, though. Alan Alda. Alda's great. And what I really like about Alda in Manhattan Murder Mystery is the only other Woody Allen movie, I think, the only other Woody Allen movie he's in is Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yes. And he is such an... He's great hilarious, but he's yeah. such an unlikable prick of a man in that movie. Yeah. It's fun seeing him be like nice, approachable Alan Alda style, like mash Alan Alda right. in Manhattan Murder Mystery. Tony Roberts, still alive, still works, was in something called The Longest Week with Jason Bateman that I've never even heard of. All right. Amityville All right, 3D. Amityville 3D? He played John Baxter, the owner of the infamous... The one from the 80s? Yeah. All right. Um, no, I, I, Manhattan Myster- Murder Mystery was in that style that Woody Allen had. Uh, Husbands and Wives uses it as well, where like the camera's just always moving. It's sort of a... I, I don't mean he didn't invent this, but it felt like it really influenced the uh, the indie film movement of the late 90s. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just a, a funny, really fun movie. They got a great villain in the guy who plays Hesh on The Sopranos, the guy who they think killed his wife, uh, was great in it. Just a good cast. Everybody's strong in it. And I heard, you know, from the Wikipedia page anyway... Um, Apparently, while this was going on, while the whole thing was going on and Mia Farrow had him on 2020 and everything, um, he's like, I got to press on and make this movie to get my mind off this. And who shows up day one for a fitting but Mia Farrow? What? At least this is on the Wikipedia page. (laughs) She has publicly accused him, as everyone knows at this point, and she shows up on day one because she was supposed to be playing the Diane Keaton role. And she's like, I'm here to get fitted for wardrobe. I did know like, that. You're not in the movie anymore, Mia. And she's like, what? <laughs> Let's not go down this road. Let's not go down the, that uh, road. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I just, for those of you at home, I just literally did the Seinfeld take from Seinfeld <laughs> when somebody says something crazy and he turns his head almost to a 90-degree yeah. angle. We've, uh, we've started a new thing on uh, Cool Kids where when somebody says something that pisses Dag off, he goes, I got a pace. And he gets up and paces around and goes, woo, woo. It's very funny. Uh, my friend Keith Robinson, one of the funniest human beings on earth who, who had a stroke, he will often yell uh, when you may, when, when, in a moment like that, I'm going to have another fucking stroke. God damn it. <laughs> um, I saw uh, another bad film. Uh, I watched The Vault with James Franco. I don't think I've talked about this yet on here. Not even familiar with The Vault. It's a bank robbery movie where something is afoot down in the bank vault. Sure. Something otherworldly is going on down there. Uh, look, the movie sucks. It's boring. It's routine. You've seen it all before. Spoiler alert. Within the first seven minutes, if you've ever seen one of these movies, you know that James Franco's character is clearly a ghost that only hey. the robbers are seeing. And that, of course, is supposed to be the big payoff twist. Um, and these robbers are actually caught in hell or something, or, uh, you know, they robbed the place and it all went wrong, and now they have to relive it. Some fucking shit. I don't know. The movie sucks. Okay. I don't want to see... The only thing I ever want to see Franco play... Dumb. Is Yeah, is a dummy. Yeah. Is a dummy that, like, 
that's like smell my dick, man. You know what I mean? Like sure. the guy plays in the in the interview. Like that's all they ever want to see him play. Anything else, I don't care. I'm I'm out. I watched Thoroughbreds, which came out early 2018. And that's a sequel to Hot to Trot, right? <laughs> it is. Okay. Uh, Dabney Coleman. No, Thoroughbreds. <laughs> By the way, they pitched Dabney Coleman to the cool kids as a love interest the other day, and I was like, let's fucking book Dabney Coleman. And they were like, well, did you see his age, though? Man's 87 years old. Dude. I watched, I looked up Dabney Coleman interviews. I found TMZ stuff from yeah. recently. Still sharp as a tech. There's a there's a documentary coming out about him. All right, maybe we'll get him. I, I was just like, <laughs> Vicky's 65, 87's a big It's swing. a big jump, but he's, yeah. still, he's still sharp as a tech. All right. He's out in front of the thing. He's like, you got two minutes, son. You got two minutes, you're, and you're failing right now. Like, he's still <laughs> Dabney Coleman. All right. In the trailer for this documentary, there's a line where he goes, the guy said, the director says to me, can you come in and play a tough guy with this? I said, I'm Dabney fucking Coleman. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just happy that he's not. I was scared he was going to be like drooling. and. Well, he was in Boardwalk Empire, which was not that long ago, and he was a commanding presence, but he did not look the same. No, he just looks like an old, he just got his star on the walk or whatever. Like, yeah. So that you can find the footage of that. Anyway, uh, all right. I saw Thoroughbreds. It was critically acclaimed. It came out earlier this year. It's an indie movie. It stars Olivia Cook, who was in uh, Ouija. She was also in Ready Player One. It also stars... Is she the love interest in Ready Player One? I believe so. Anya Taylor-Joy, who was the girl from The Witch and the girl from Split who I like a lot. The blonde-haired daughter? Correct. And she was all, also Anton Yelchin. It was his last film, R.I.P. The movie was compared most often to Heather's. It is two young girls, one of whom is a complete sociopath, much like Lena Dunham, with no regards for human emotion, has no human feelings. And they basically are like, you, you can sure get away with a lot if you don't care about human feelings. There's murders... They uh, they kill people. Uh, there's a horse murder at one point. The movie... A horse murder? I found repellent. And <clears throat> as a guy who certainly feels empathy but kind of struggles to, like, cry, you know, and have these human emotions sometimes, right. uh, I thought I was going to really get on its wavelength. But it, it was a nice reminder that, like, well, no, I'm not a complete joyless piece of shit like these two, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm far from it. And I don't know, maybe it's just the times, but I did not need to see two young girls who are, you know, uh, just miserable human beings who do miserable things for 90 minutes. Heather's had a, a sense of humor where it, you know, at least turned the lens on those people and made you see how bad they were. This sort of celebrated these girls, and I, I just found it gross. I, it was not entertaining to me at all, and I uh, can't recommend it, even though it was highly praised. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I hear you. And Heather's also has that Mean Girls moment where Winona Ryder realizes, yeah, and or The Craft is another one where where she realizes like these people are terrible. Right. Uh, this does not have that moment. Well, yeah. All right. 
Uh, last but not least, I saw a dark song. We were going to review it on here, but now we're not. So, uh, solid horror movie about a woman who has lost her child uh, to uh, murder, I believe, if I remember correctly. And she hires a man to, who's an occultist to basically help her conjure uh the spirit so she can talk to her daughter okay and uh and uh irish picture and find uh solace in all this yeah i think it was irish but the actors weren't irish or they were i think they sounded english if i remember okay uh to help but she wants closure with the situation great low budget one location horror film i bet you the budget for this thing was like a million bucks at most it's all shot in 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 one house the acting in it is great. Uh, they're the the two it's two characters. They're both great. There's some nice creepy, scary shit at the end, uh, and then it's got an overall surprisingly uplifting message, uh, which you're not expecting. So, uh, I recommend it. It's about ninety hot minutes. You're in and out, and uh, it's it's worth a watch. I'll check her out. That being said, let's get on to our commentary. Let's do it. Night of the Meek. This is streaming on Net. Well, I'm on Hulu. Twilight Zone is streaming on Hulu. Again, season two, episode 12. We'll hit play after a one, two, three on play. One, two, three. Play. play. We are rolling. Here's the opening credits. You're seeing the clouds, and now the sun, and a black line go across the bottom of the screen. I never understood why they did that. In the, it's an odd choice. They just put a thick black line across so the sun can go down. That's stupid. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I have only seen the first season of The Twilight Zone. I have them all on Blu-ray. They look fantastic, but I just haven't been able to work my way through it as quickly as I'd like. Well, interesting fact, you have if you have not watched anything past the first season, you've never seen a Twilight Zone with the classic Twilight Zone theme. The original, the first season theme is not the classic Correct. one that we all know. Correct. Um, but we open uh, on a on a... I mean, I'm telling you, this is bad Santa. It's a it's a department store manager being like, "Where is he? Where is Santa Claus? Right. He's not here." You know, he should have been here an hour ago. Where is he? And then it cuts, and you got Santa Claus getting shit fit. This is the exact opening of Bad Santa. True. <laughs> you know, he's dirty. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's gross. Played by the great... Boy, that opening monologue of Bad Santa can still just make me howl. It is so fucking I forget funny. what the opening mono is. I got to watch it again this year. It's been he a He just talks years. about like what a piece of shit life is, basically. It's like the, how, it, how it begins. Uh, uh, the great Art Carney playing Santa Claus in this film. Or in this Love Art Carney. Episode. And strange. It's strange seeing Art Carney in a dark role like this. You know, he's, he's a fucking mess. And I mean, and they really get into the alcoholism of it all because he's got a full sandwich there that he paid for and uh -huh. he hasn't eaten any of it. Right. He's just drinking shot after shot. Like, uh, you know, they really nailed what it is. Now, are you excited about uh, the new Twilight Zone, Jordan Peele's? I'm excited about anything Twilight Zone related. I hope it's good. I'm excited you know, about it. I'm not excited to get CBS On Demand to no, watch it. No, that part sucks. I don't want to support CBS. And... 
reminds me, Joe, why did you tell Les Moonves to do what he did? <laughs> you know, Joe uh, had a little theory that he might have been kicked off my show because his character was a sexual predator. And all this stuff that went down, I just read a huge article about it, was going on as that show was getting picked yeah, up. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think they were like, we can't have this character. I think they you're were- right. And he wasn't, my character wasn't a predator. He was just a pervy, he was a horny dude. Correct. That, it was all consensual, but he liked to flirt and fuck. Yeah. And, but they were taking this, if you remember, the execs were coming into this thing like, that we can't have this. Right. Like, and it was like, what, we, we, everybody was like, what is so bad about this? It's yeah. like a fucking guy that like chases women. Like, who cares? I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. And he, now this this came out. They they interviewed uh, people at CBS. I don't know if you read this. Forty something different people all came forward with the exact same story that he oh had on the payroll on call a woman who was on call to blow him, to go into his office and blow him. And they were all like, I don't know if she was paid for that reason, but they were like she avoided termination. She stayed with the company for a very long time because she was his widely known on-call, can you please come down to my office? And people would go, why is this woman with no ties to the company always in his office? He was claiming that these blowjobs were consensual, which probably just means he had some sort of legal document. (laughs) But uh, that incident alone, combined with other stuff that has yet to come out, cost him the $120 million payday he was going to get. Don't feel Jesus. sorry for the man, of course, but no. he's, he's he's done and not getting that payday. He's fucked. I hate uh, CBS. He seems like a real piece of trash. Here's the crazy part, though. He was the reason I got the job, if you remember. You told me, Moonvez, before we knew any of this shit, obviously, yeah. Moonvez saw your tape, thought you were hilarious. I think they're going to give you the job. Yes, I mean he does. He says say and all that shit. So yeah. But I he, mean, it's so so. Maybe my theory's wrong. My kind, point maybe is, saw a kindred spirit. <laughs> frankly, he yeah. He was taking notes. Yeah. This is good stuff. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Um. Night of the Meek People is what we're watching here on the Twilight Zone. It's the Christmas episode. If you've never seen it. Do they do other Christmas episodes of Twilight Zone? This is the only one that I can remember. Tales from the Dark Side has one of the best horror Christmas episodes ever of anything I've ever seen ever. Yeah. Um, It's called Seasons of Belief. Okay. And if it was streaming, we would do it, but it's just not streaming anywhere. Um, We we try to do stream stuff that you can stream on a service, not that we have to pay for to rent or whatever. Right. But uh, uh, it was on... Shutter and now it's gone. But anyway, it's about two parents. One of them is played by the uh, I forget the guy's name, but he plays uh, he plays Beverly D'Angelo's dad in Christmas Vacation. John Forsyth. No, that's not John. Forsyth. Oh, that's Chevy Chase's dad. Uh, E.G. Marshall. E.G. Marshall. Chevy yeah. Chase's dad is not John Forsyth either. Chevy Chase's dad is played by the actor who played the original Frank Costanza, who was later replaced by um, no. His dad is, pl- or I'm sorry, if not John Forsyth. Not John. That's the guy from like Dallas. John Randall. Sure. What's his name? It's not John Forsyth. No, I know who John Forsyth is. John Randolph. Okay. Well, anyway. Yes, John Randolph. Sorry. E.G. Marshall is the dad. Dig this. The wife in this thing is like 
32. Okay. They got E.G. Marshall as her husband. This guy's like 78 years old. Yeah. They got two six-year-old kids. It makes no sense. <laughs> okay. But uh, but but the whole thing is about how the 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 parents make up this story about this. Look, it's bad Santa. He just fell off the Santa Claus thing. Yeah. I'm they were all oh, they were almost definitely inspired by this. I would imagine. Yeah. Now the moms are yelling at him and everything. Yeah. Know. Uh, you know, they made it funny in the movie because he pisses himself, which right. is funny. Did you just piss on yourself? Um, <clears throat> anyway, they make up this story uh, with for the kids about this monster called the Grither that comes from the North Pole. Okay. And uh, it's a really creepy story. There's an awesome payoff. I love it. I watch it every Christmas with my dear friend... Uh, Mr. Pinkstone, that we often refer to on this show. Sure, sure. Uh, every Christmas we hit that up. I love it. But um, but uh, this Night of the Meek is not scary. This is about, if you haven't been paying attention, a guy that plays Santa Claus in a department store that's a complete fucking drunk. I mean, you take the beard and the Santa Claus job away from this guy, you got Patty Walsh. Oh, for God's sake. You got a guy just stumbling around, offending everyone, <laughs> drinking his dinner. I uh, I haven't had a drink all weekend. But here's the thing. Just all weekend? Not a huge accomplishment, but here we are Sunday. You went to you so you went to the Los Lobos X concert last night. By the way, what the fuck is Los Lobos playing with X? That's a weird combo. Well, they're both very LA bands. And uh <coughs> X was Xine Cervenka is uh Hispanic. There might be some crossover there. I think she's sung a song or two with them. But uh, I've loved X forever, really love X, and Los Lobos I like but feel like they were hurt a little by 80s production. Sometimes they sound a little too clean or something. Yeah. Seeing them live, they were fucking amazing, amazing guitar players, uh, just sure. killer solos. I had a blast. I did get high, I just didn't drink. And uh, X fucking killed it like they always do. It was a hell of a show. What'd you do last night? Last night I stayed in, watched Boy Erased, and fell asleep at 8 p.m. Wow. All right. I uh, I have residual stress. I, I don't deal with the stress as it's happening. And then when the weekend comes more and more, I fall asleep earlier and earlier due to the the week's stress. And I have to wake up every Saturday and get a script out, and I, I feel a lot of pressure, and then I collapse. Okay. That's just what I do now. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. In this uh, version of the drunk Santa in Night of the Meek, he, as you can see here, he's he's actually remorseful. Yes. He's not a man that's given up completely. He knows he's got a drinking problem. He actually says to the manager of the store, who, by the way, is played by one of my favorite character actors. I don't know his name, but he's the guy from, uh, he was in the original Odd Couple. I said I had to leave at 12. Remember I said that when we mm -hmm. sat down? That guy? Yeah. And then he's also one of the greatest Golden Girl characters ever. He's the guy that, like, they find irresistible. Right. And they have to fuck him. Like, they're all, like, they can't. And he's, like, this weird, like, little nerd. I don't remember that one. Oh, it's great. Dorothy starts dating him. She doesn't want to date him because she's like, look at this guy. He's, like, four foot eight. Uh-huh. And he's bald and he's got glasses. Like, he's, like, a little weird nerdy guy. But and he's like a sexual dynamo. Yeah, and Dorothy's like I, everything we have. It, it, there's a really funny scene uh, with her and Rose. Where he goes, 
She goes, Rose, everything we have is under the sheets. <laughs> and Rose goes, what's under the sheets? And she goes, his cappuccino maker, Rose. <laughs> Boy, how many of those jokes did they do on that show? They're the best jokes on the show. Yeah, they, they're very funny. They, they, they lean off of them in the later seasons because they're clearly trying to make Dorothy less mean. Really? To Rose, but like... Yeah, she just kind of starts to roll her eyes more. But those jokes through the first four seasons are fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so I was like, uh, yeah, D Dorothy, did you have a, a, a bad day? And she's like, no, it was uh, like it's always like the most innocent question. Yeah. will just be shat on in this horrible way. Yeah, there's the yeah, there's the one where Rose goes or she goes, uh, Sophia, are you upset? Are you still upset about Dorothy? No, Rose, I'm upset because they canceled thirty something. <laughs> a lot of shots at like yeah. other TV shows. A lot of shots at the TV of the day. I've noticed <laughs> that some of them I don't even get because I don't know what the show is. But yeah, yeah, no. So no, Rose. The uh, so the Santa Claus is remorseful. He's trying to mooch drinks. He's been fired from the job. Uh, at the store, he's trying to mooch drinks. Uh, he's, he's been cut off. His credit is no longer good. He's now walking the streets on Christmas Eve, uh, just shit-faced, dressed up as Santa Claus. And it's snowing. It's relentlessly snowing. Doesn't sound like that bad of an evening. I, I mean, it's, it's what I plan on doing this year. Yeah. This is what I should do when I've had it with my family on a holiday. <laughs> you know, by the time we're fighting by Christmas dinner, yeah. I should just have a suit that I could hop into and just go outside and just walk around drunk. It's I mean, honestly, it sounds great to me. Um That's what SantaCon is, except you got too many other drunks, too many other variables. We didn't do the Santa crawl this year. We forgot. I don't think we want to be doing it. It's got it's taken on a real ugly turn and it's gotten very fratty. But there was a time when it was fun. All right. Now it's like it feels like Wall Street guys. What uh we need a little more Wall Street. Yeah. Less Wall Street. That's right. Where, uh, when does it happen? What's the date? I bet it's already happened in LA. The New York one, you'll see people bitching about it all the time. LA SantaCon, I bet it was this weekend, but let me check. As if this guy couldn't get any lower in this episode, somebody just threw a can of garbage out their window <laughs> from the second story. It hit him in the head. Yeah. Yep, SantaCon was Saturday. <clears throat> but then he turns and he sees Yesterday. the garbage bag has turned magically into a bag of presents. A Santa sack, if you will. That's pretty stupid. And he picks it up. He has already shown his remorse. He's got a bag full of presents now and he's dressed as Santa. You can see where this is going, Pat. I think I got it. They remade this one in the 80s, uh, in the 80s Twilight Zone with Richard Mulligan. I love... Richard Mulligan. Yeah. It made me sad to see him playing a creep. I like when he plays like a nice guy, but I shouldn't. This isn't my least favorite episode. It gets me in the spirit, but I mean, you know. Mulligan's in a good uh, Blake Andrews picture called SOB, starring a topless Julie Andrews. Blake Edwards, you mean? Blake Edwards, yeah. I thought you said Blake Andrews. Uh, Remember Skin well, Julie Andrews is his wife, and she is naked. In the it. lady from The Sound of Music? Correct. Look that up right now. SOB, and it's a Hollywood satire where Richard Mulligan plays a suicidal movie director. And he's doing a sex movie with his wife, Julie Andrews. But Julie Andrews 
was and is Blake Edwards' wife, assuming he's still alive, which I don't think he Blake is. Blake Edwards always did like a real Randy type of picture. Yeah. There was a horniness to Ten, it. Ten, skin deep with a glow-in-the-dark condoms. I, I didn't, skin deep upset me because I didn't like seeing John Ritter play, play like kind of like a... A, a Lotharia. A poon hound. Right. <clears throat> oh, yeah, there she is, topless. That's, you know, you don't expect to see that, do you? You did a Julie Andrews topless image search just now? Just Googled Julie Andrews nude. It came right up. <laughs> I bet that is uh, one of the least searched people. Although in this season of Mary Poppins returning, I mean. Well, I, yeah, I just probably got placed on some real perv list. Oh, yeah. This perv's typing in Julie Andrews nude. Yeah, let's send somebody over to his house. Uh. Joe, are you going to see Mary Poppins Returns? I got the uh, I got the screener the other day. Well, I know uh, my lady friend would love to see it if I might borrow it, unless you're looking to watch it. Pat, you can send not it only me. can you borrow it, you can keep the fucking thing. All right, I have. She's, she I've would never love had to watch less that. interest in a sequel in my life. I never saw the original. I fucking love Mary Poppins, <laughs> and I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of excited to see it as well. Except it has Lin Manuel Miranda, and if he plays a rapping chimney sweep, I'm out. Uh, I also heard that the uh, the famous song isn't in it. How are you getting screeners? I'm not getting. I'm in three unions, pal. You're in one. That's the difference between you me DGA and you. as well or PGA. And DGA. DJ. Is that why you get the screeners? In the writers. I mean, the actors. I'm not fucking around. I want to get in that producer somehow by the end of my life. Producers gets even more. Uh... But my question is, is what they don't put, isn't what's the famous song in Mary Poppins? I don't think it has any of the same songs. It's an all new musical. But there's like the one song that like there's that. Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney. Yeah, and they were like saying like they chose. They chose not to use the big one. I think Feed it was Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. The birds, tuppence a bag. Uh. Dick Van Dyke, is he playing the same character in this one? No, he's playing like an old banker. Why Why would he not be related to the original character? Joe, you haven't even seen it. What are you so upset about? Because this movie is about the original kids grown up with their own kids now, and Mary Poppins comes back. Isn't that the point of the movie? Well, maybe Dick Van Dyke plays Bert, but he's a banker now. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm going to look it up. Take the mic for a minute. I'm looking this up. because <laughs> This is going to take me a minute. Um, I like Mary Poppins. I think that the the use of animation mixed with the live action dancing was really fun. Was that was years her before point. Roger Rabbit. The lady who wrote it. That was like what made her say "fuck off." I want no parts. Really? Of this. Oh, right. I learned yeah. that in Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, she was, which was furious. a pretty good movie, I must say, about the making of uh, Mary Poppins with uh, Tommy Hanks, folks. This holiday season, there's nothing I'm really excited to see. There's usually a, a Paul Thomas Anderson, a Scorsese, a Cohen, or something. The, the Cohen brothers, one came and went. There's yeah. The Irishman, I guess, is being released in March on Netflix. I mean, the, the movie industry is going under, to say the least. I don't want to watch a new Martin Scorsese movie on Netflix. I don't want to watch a new Cohen brothers movie on Netflix. Uh, here's one for you. Dick Van Dyke is playing the son of the character he played in the original film. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, I guess it must be 100 years in the future or something. 
Oh, I guess he's playing like the kid grown up now or something. I, I don't know. Who, I don't fucking know. Anyway, um, Angela Lansbury is in this too. Oh, nice. Um, I like Lansbury. I went in. I did Doug Loves Movies live at Largo a week ago. I went in hard on that Coen Brothers movie. Okay. My buddy Daniel Van Kirk was up on the panel. He said it was perfect. Come on. Perfect oh, film. Damn. I said, perfect what? I go, perfectly fucking boring? That movie sucked. He goes, didn't you think it looked beautiful? I said, hey, Danny, Jenny McCarthy looks beautiful. I don't want to spend two hours with her, babe. <laughs> Big laugh. Uh-huh. Uh, then a guy started talking about a charity he has for Yorkies to prevent them from being put to sleep. And I asked, when they put the Yorkies to sleep, do they just show them the ballad of Buster Scruggs? Nice. I Boom. was ahead of that one, but, but nice. Rap, well, come on. I mean, it's a good bit, though. You yeah. wrap it all up. He still won't ask me on that fucking show. I think he knows I'd be too good. I'm sure that's what it is, Pat. I'm yeah. sure he's just too intimidated. <laughs> he, he's just always like cross-eyed stoned, right? I mean, the man, is, it's not a secret. The man loves marijuana. But to a, is anyone troubled by it? Uh, it seems troubling when I see ever, him. Nobody ever is ever troubled by pot for some reason. Yeah. It is. I mean, I mean I don't people claim for years it's not addictive. It's addictive. I think it's emotionally addictive, without a doubt. I was uh, getting my uh, jizz tested. And this this is at home. You're just doing a taste test. Yes. Right. <laughs> we were we we're kind of doing a, a base level, like, just to find out, like, if we did want to have a kid, should we do it sooner than later kind of situation. And uh, I went in, jerked off in a room in uh, Westwood, California, and... My levels all came back great. And I was honestly surprised. So I said, hey, just to ask, I, I, I'm curious. I said, I always heard the, the worst thing for semen production is marijuana. But my friends who are huge potheads all have babies, no problem. Right. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that, you know, whether it was started to kind of keep people off weed or what, he's like, we've essentially proven that that's a myth. He said, smoking marijuana is not ideal for sperm production, but neither is smoking cigarettes. Like, smoking is just bad for your blood vessels and bad for everything. You shouldn't do it. He's like, eating marijuana has no discernible effect on sperm production. I was fascinated by this because I've been living a lie. I lit one up right there in the doctor's office. <laughs> we celebrated together. Um Here's where we're at in the show. An old man is asking Art Carney, like, what What do you want for Christmas? Right. You've given these gifts away to everybody. Now, what do you want? And Art Carney says, I can't think of anything I want. Uh, I think my only dream ever was to be the biggest gift giver of all time. And I think I got to do that tonight. So clearly this man is about to become Santa Claus forever. Yeah. Or kill himself, one of the two. Which, I got to be honest... It bothers me a little bit because he's a fall down goddamn drunk through the whole thing. Why does he get rewarded? You know? Sure. What's his, you know what I mean? What's the takeaway? We should all drink ourselves to death and maybe some point magic will turn it around. He finds the bag when he's like shit faced trying to get back into the bar. Right. You know, I don't know. Right, whatever. So. Notice his name is Bert. Have you have you ever met a Bert under forty years old? Uh, I met 
I think the first time I met Bert Kreischer, he was under 40. He is no longer. I've never met a young Bert. Uh, but I've met a Bert Young. Folks. Folks. We saw him. But he's an old Bert. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So was this guy drinking because he couldn't be Santa Claus? Is that I what we're be supposed honest. to believe? I'm not sure that this whole episode isn't just supposed to be that he's having uh, like a drunk, delirious episode right now. Yeah. Uh, but there's an elf. He might just be in a men's room pissing on the floor with trembling hands <laughs> while all this magic is yeah. going on. Yeah. He keeps handing uh, sheets of toilet paper to people. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Wipes and then hands it to somebody. Uh, but, you know, he gets he finds a sleigh with reindeer and an elf. Yeah. At the end. And uh, and he uh, he flies away on the thing. And then, you know, these two are going home together. You got the guy back now. The, the sexual dynamo is back on screen. Right. With the cop. And uh, they hear sleigh bells. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? I guess the point is, he says earlier, like you know somebody what I didn't do? should tell these people that Christmas is more than barging through the aisles and shoving people out of the way to buy what you want. So I guess the idea is maybe he's he might be a drunk, but he's got the his heart's in the right place. Yeah, where everybody else is sober, but they're pieces of garbage. Maybe. Okay. Something like that. Again, it feels very pro booze. Oh, the whole I, I thing. I don't hate that, folks. With one minute to spare. I'd like to get on with the show. And at the same time, on with the Joe Ho Ho who wouldn't go. Joe Ho Ho who wouldn't go up on the housetop. Click, click, click down the chimney with jeweled St. Nick. Rod Serling signed off a word of the wise to all children of the 20th century, whether their gain be pediatrics or geriatrics, whether they crawl on their knees and wear diapers or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's wondrous magic at Christmas, and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. And a Merry Christmas to each and all. Is that even the theme they were saying here? How is a drunk a meek? Well, the meek, like the meek shall inherit the earth. Like he didn't have any money. He's, you know, he's downtrodden. I thought the meek meant like weak. It means like the under guy. I the, guess he's weak. The under, yeah, the you're not on top. Yeah. You know? On top of that bar stool. Oh, folks. Guys, that's our show. Uh, I'll be at Gotham Comedy Club next weekend. Come out and see me if you can. Um, oh, wait, not next weekend. Sorry. The weekend after that. The, the first full weekend of January. Uh, I'll be in Vegas in March. I'll be in Austin at the Moon Tower Festival after that sometime. Uh, Joe DeRosa Comedy on Instagram. Oh, and my fiction is officially running starting in January in Penthouse. Some severe situations. First story running is Wallace and his checkerboard, one I'm very proud of. I hope you get to read it. This holiday season, pick up a Penthouse magazine and read about Joe's scary stories. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Patrick Walsh. Cool Kids Friday nights on Fox, also on Hulu. Catch up with your family over the break because we're coming back big in the new year. Thank you all. Merry Christmas. Have a good one. See you next time. We'll see you in hell.